Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for October 23rd, 2017. On today's show, we're going to be taking a look at a bunch of news, including the first reviews of Stranger Things 2, the reasons why Last Action Hero bombed, according to Arnold Schwarzenegger, Star Trek Discovery gets a second season, Justice League runtime is much shorter than expected, we will give our reactions to the trailer for Paul Thomas Anderson's Phantom Thread, and does Thor Ragnarok feature an LGBT character? And in the water cooler, we'll be talking about Geostorm, Delt, Too Funny to Fail, The House of Torment, and Madden 18. This is Peter Sorella, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Home writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's up? And Slash Home managing editor Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. Okay, guys, we have a lot to talk about today, um, but join me at the water cooler. I did a lot over the weekend, and I, I want to share all of it with you. I used my movie pass and went to see Geostorm in the theaters uh, because I'm stupid. And, <laughs> and you know, what? I, I generally love kind of uh, disaster movies of this kind, you know, Independence Day. I know a lot of people like to hate on it nowadays and, you know, the, the films of that, that ilk. Um, I, I really enjoy them. There hasn't been really a good one in a while. I guess what San Andreas was a couple of years ago and that wasn't that great, although I had some some good action. Uh, Independence Day Resurgence, Peter, that, last year. Yeah, that was that was that was that was that was a bad. I mean, it wasn't even funny bad. It was just a bad movie. And this movie, um, I mean, it's 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 okay. You can watch it, and it's it's fine. There are a few moments that will make you laugh. It's not even so bad. It's good. It seems like they kind of like go from. It's almost like they they made a list of the cliches that you need to go through in the pop points you need to go through in a movie like this like oh we got to have a dog in jeopardy will the dog get out of the jeopardy yes uh <laughs> I mean, like, 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 it, they they go down like point by point oh there's a government government cons- conspiracy theory um so it, it, it's like a hundred other movies you've already seen 
in in addition to that, uh, you know, I thought the idea of like kind of extreme weather was kind of interesting, but uh, if you think about it, the Earth being you know a city being destroyed from a heat storm really isn't that interesting to watch. <laughs> there, there's really not a lot to that. It, you know, it's not in it's not aliens blowing up a city. It's not an earthquake tearing it apart. It's it's you know a city getting too hot. <laughs> and and it, it's just I don't know. I, I was just very disappointed uh, by Geostorm. I would not recommend it, even if you uh, want to go see it. Just you know because it's stupid. Although there are a couple times that are funny. You know, like where the characters like, oh my god, it's a Geostorm, and like you're like, oh my god, do people talk like this in movies? <laughs> but um, I also uh, this weekend rented a movie on iTunes called Delt. And this is a documentary about um, this guy named Richard Turner, who I don't want to say he's a magician. He's a card card mechanic, which is basically a guy that can like cheat at playing cards, if that makes sense. So he he's very good at sleight of hand. Actually, very good is an understatement. He's probably I think most magicians would say he is the best in the world alive at sleight of hand. And uh, it just so happens that he's blind. Um, so he can't see the cards that he's shuffling. He can't see what he's doing. But uh, he's one of the best in the... Uh, he is the best in the world at doing what he does. And it, it's kind of... Um, it, it's You know, this is a film that premiered at Sundance this year. I, I missed it at Sundance. Uh, it, it's a, you know... Uh, Certified Fresh and Rotten Tomatoes. Everybody that's seen it has pretty much loved this film. Uh, so, and it's not like one of those like oh inspirational story, blind man did good kind of thing. Uh, because he, it's interesting. I've seen this guy at the Magic Castle perform, and the introduction, uh, they never mention he's blind during the show. He never mentions he's blind. Like he's actually kind of. And they they go into this in doctor in the into the doc, in the documentary that he's kind of like ashamed of his handicap, um, and it's it's actually very interesting. It's a you know kind of a conflict of a of a person, but um, it, it's very interesting. It's on iTunes right now. I think you can rent it for like four or five bucks. I would highly recommend it. And last and uh, not least, I saw. Another documentary on Hulu. It's available for free on Hulu if you have a subscription. It's called Too Funny to Fail. And this is the story of the Danny Carvey show, which I'm not a huge fan of Danny Carvey. Uh, are you guys? Not especially. I no, I mean, I yeah, I watched him on the early days of, uh, or my early days of SNL in the 90s, but I haven't really followed his career much beyond that. Yeah, I think our own Bradford Ullman is the biggest fan of the site Yeah, he, of he, Danny Carvey. For sure. And, you know, he, he was always known on SNL of doing, like, the uh, impersonations. Uh, I liked him more in his role of, uh, what is it, uh, Garth in, uh, wait, yeah, Garth in uh, um, Wayne's World. And, um, you know, of course, obviously doing George uh, Bush Sr. Uh, was probably, like, the highlight of that era of SNL. Um he was on SNL for a long time, I think almost a record amount of time. And when he left SNL, it kind of everybody was like, you know, what is this guy going to do next? And he basically created this. Um, he created a sketch comedy series uh, for primetime on, on ABC. And this show, I, which I had never seen, I guess the whole thing is on Hulu. So this documentary is it should be mentioned. This documentary is made by Hulu. Uh, and the show is on Hulu, so it's obviously, you know, a little biased. Um, but uh, the this ske- sketch comedy show was very raunchy. It was had a lot of people before their um, before they became huge people. Uh, Robert uh, Smigel, uh was one of the writers. Louis C.K. was one of the writers. Uh, Charlie Kaufman. The Charlie Kaufman, you know, that is now a director, uh, was one of the writers. Uh, the cast included Steve Carell and Stephen Colbert. Um, it introduced the uh, the ambiguously gay duo. Started there before it started on SNL. Uh, so that's probably the biggest legacy that this show has. Um, 
and kind of um they they tried to do some kind of raunchy and push push the boundaries kind of thing for primetime on a network that disney just purchased and uh, it did not go well the studio pushed back they they introduced characters uh of a studio head from abc on the show who you know uh each episode head was brought to you by a different company so the first episode was the taco bell dana carvey show which is kind of genius <laughs> uh because they were naming it kind of like you know uh sports teams name arenas nowadays and um Almost every single one of their sponsors left angry. Uh, I don't know. It, it just sounds like such a great thing. And there, it had fans like uh, Seinfeld called it one of the greatest shows on television. Uh, Bill Hader is uh, a fan. Uh, there's um... anyways, you watch this documentary. It, it, it's it, it's a very interesting documentary about a thing I didn't even know about. And the uh, kind of the. The rise and epic fall of this show that only had eight episodes. And it almost makes me want to watch the eight episodes that are now on, on Hulu. Uh, but I highly recommend it. Uh, wh- wh- ben, what have you been up to this weekend? Uh, my wife got me a, a PlayStation 4 for my birthday not too long ago. So I've been playing Madden 18. Uh, I don't really need to go into what that is. It's just a football game. But... Um, I think previously, Peter, you had asked me about whether or not I was a gamer, and I said that I was so far behind that PlayStation 3 was sort of where I I capped out on the whole video game thing, and and I haven't played any sort of new games or anything like that in years, Uh, so much so that when I um, heard about this, uh, you know, I I got this present, and I was like, oh, I want like uh, like an NCAA football game. With, without even realizing that they stopped making those games years ago because of uh, rights issues with the students and their likenesses and stuff and like a clash with the NCAA and all this stuff. Like apparently, I, I think the, that was the last game I played was like NCAA 2011 or something like that. So it, it had been years since I had sort of, um, you know, picked up a video game console and played anything modern. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to sort of give a quick shout out to uh, man, PS4 is pretty awesome. So <laughs> I'm uh, I'm desperately trying to balance work and not get you know sucked into uh, <laughs> playing this game um, for every free minute that I have because that's that's something that tends to happen to me with video games. I'll sort of like get obsessed with it until I sort of beat the game, but that's not really something that you can do in a football game. Just, it's just like a never-ending thing. But um, but yeah, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to that. Jacob, what have you been up to? You've been, you're still moving in. I'm still moving in. We have a lot of boxes, a lot of painting to do. I spent my wife was out of town this weekend, so I spent all weekends just moving things and accepting deliveries and getting paint done and unboxing and organizing. And I'm legitimately exhausted to the point <laughs> you where sound like it. <laughs> like I was telling Peter online, I, I I don't know what the medical definition of exhaustion is, but. I genuinely think I'm nearing it, <laughs> and it's my concern. I'm, I'm going to try to take. I'm going to try to have an easy week, but you know, it's it's it's, it's been good though. I'm moving into the house, you know, kind of sort of like putting something up in a place and saying, okay, this is here forever now. It doesn't have to worry about moving it when I change apartments. Um, for those of you who follow me on Twitter or read the written version of Water Cooler, know my local restaurant tends to have a lot of often tacky pop culture art. It's a restaurant called Trudy's that, we, that my wife and I love. And but they for, for years have had this massive giant painted on a block of wood Anchorman pop culture piece, and um, for years I've been telling my wife I'm gonna go buy that one day, and she keeps on telling me no, you're not, and then we agreed to buy it. So that's hanging downstairs right now is the Channel Four news team uh, in bright colors hanging on my wall forever. But um, the one thing I did get to do that was not moving house was. Last night, um, I made my annual trip to House of Torment, which is Austin's biggest haunted house. It's not the only haunted house in Austin, but it's the one that everybody knows. It's the most popular one, the most expensive one, the one that has the biggest budget. It's actually uh, three haunted houses located in this industrial space. It's a massive warehouse transformed into three mazes. Uh, and it's just one of those multi-million dollar operations where there's impressive makeup and animatronics and detailed sets and has all the kind of gags you expect from, from modern haunted houses, guys on stilts, people on wires, um, all 
what was the thing I was really, I was really, a really impressive sequence where you enter a room full of fog, but due to a laser projection put into the fog, it looks like you're walking through a, a chest high swamp. Um, so when you look ahead, you, you get the impression you're wading through water. It's not there, which means that there are people, actors lurking in the water, fake water who will jump up at you and scare you. And it's, it's a really impressive show. And I am hopefully going to get down to Scream Hollow, which is the other local haunted house. I like about an hour's drive out into Bastrop. And for those of you who don't know Texas geography, and I don't blame you, Bastrop is the area where they shot big chunks of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And Scream Hollow is literally out in the middle of nowhere in that same desolate Texas countryside in the middle of the woods. It's not even like a complex. It's like a bunch of land in the woods that they bought and turned into a mostly outdoor series of haunted houses. So even though it has maybe a fraction of the budget of House of Torment, it has this sort of creepy vibe of you are literally out in the middle of nowhere. There is no natural light to be found, and it is just this terrifying thing. So, you know, it's, it's my balance between haunted houses. It's the thing I do every year. It's either the multi-million dollar operation or the scrappy location makes it work type thing. Uh, I know you do universal haunted houses right peter i mean uh, do you do you two have like rituals like this or am i the only one that's podcast who does haunted houses every year i mean uh, other than universal i, I did not berry farm for or not scary farm for the first time this year I, I haven't done any of the like you know uh you know haunted houses in people's backyards or anything like that i was actually supposed to do that this weekend but uh kitra got sick and we were unable to uh travel out to those for the first time um but ben how about you yeah i'm like the rookie on this podcast i have never really i haven't done halloween haunted horror nights or not scary farm or any of that stuff so um yeah it's interesting hearing you guys talk about this stuff because i'm sort of uh, a newbie in that regard it's it listening to jacob talk about it it sounds like the creativity in the one that you went to this weekend seems like it might be a, you know a few steps up from what I have experienced uh, from the major places, probably because, you know, you know, they're, they want to be safer. <laughs> um, but it, it sounds interesting. It makes me want to go to some of these, uh, these haunted houses that are, you know, put on by, uh, you know, for fun by, by, the, by these people with backyards and the rent out places. <laughs> uh, but, th- but this place that you went to, they, they're a business, right? Oh yeah. They're, 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 um, been around for 15 years. They used to be actually in an old movie theater, and they, they relocated two years ago. And they're just this, they're just massive, massive operation that went from being you know a scrappy small business to being a haunted house where they'll they'll open a couple times a year. They they make their money you know in September and October, but during Easter they'll have, they'll like retheme to an Easter haunted house and like have like deranged Easter bunnies, and they will open on special events. They have special events throughout the year based on different holidays and special events and. Um, yeah, it's it's a full on business. They uh, I did a profile about on them for a local site years maybe eight years ago, long before for slash film, and they have a scare actor training camp in Arizona where they send their actors to go get trained and and it, it, they take it very seriously. And you see the actors themselves who are very physical. They have people who like are able to like contort their body. People who are stunt people, so they'll jump from high places on wires to come down at you from above. Wow, uh, it's it, it's something that they take very seriously, and um, there are definitely some local people as well filling in the gaps. But the lead actors and the key characters are all like people who take, who, if not full on professionals, are people who take it very seriously. Okay, not to belabor our water cooler discussion, let's get onto the news. Um, first up in the news, the first reviews of Stranger Things two have hit the web. Uh, ben, you're at the article up for SlashFilm.com. What are what do people think of Stranger Things too? Is is it a success? Is it disappointing? What do we know? I think the overall uh, vibe that I'm getting from all of these reviews that have hit the web today is that uh, it's a, a pretty solid return to form for the show. Um, it doesn't seem like it's experiencing any sort of sophomore slump, which is great news because. That happens a lot of times when a show sort of come out of comes out of nowhere and then becomes this big phenomenon. It's a it's a tough act to follow. So uh, I'll read a couple little uh, excerpts from various reviews around the web, which I've compiled into an easy to read article that you can find at slashfilm.com. Yeah. So uh, anyway, and, and, and what, what you're about to read is all spoiler free, right? 
Yes, yeah, spoiler-free stuff. Um, Collider says, uh, the Duffers have managed to recapture what made season one so good while still moving the story forward in necessary ways with a smartly written and cleverly plotted script. Like that first season, not everything works perfectly, but its cumulative effect is one that is, again, joyous, emotional, satisfyingly spooky, and most of all, makes us care deeply about the fates of these outsiders who band together as heroes. Um Let's see. Let's see. USA Today says that uh, the new season is often more engrossing and tense than the first and veers much further into the horror genre. There's a noticeable uptick in jump scares and the threat of death is more palpable. A mid-season episode that finds several characters running from a threat in a locked building is tense and genuinely terrifying. Um, And, you know, a, a lot of the other outlets sort of uh, echo a lot of those thoughts. Um, they say maybe that if there's a problem with the the new season, it's that the pacing doesn't quite work out that well. Uh, most people praise the new cast, which consists of Paul Reiser and Sean Astin, uh, as well as Sadie Sink and I think his name is Dakra Montgomery, the one of the the kids who is in the new Power Rangers movie plays like a new bully that comes into town uh, in the second season. Um, but yeah, it's it's generally like people seem pretty thrilled about it. Um, Collider's Steve Weintraub said, to anyone nervous, Stranger Things season, uh, second season might be a letdown or anything less than a home run. Relax, you're going to absolutely love it. So I think that, that sort of sums it up pretty well. Yeah, and I, I saw a couple people compare it to like a, a James Cameron sequel that it is a little bit different in tone than the first, which you kind of hinted at in one of those reviews. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, I'm excited. I'm so excited. I want to see, you know, Andrew Stin directed two episodes. I'm excited for that. I'm excited. I'm just excited to get back together with this group of kids to have more adventures. Do you know what I mean? It, it's totally. – uh, I can't wait. Um, that, I, I, that is going to be my weekend, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Uh, <laughs> Jacob, uh, you wrote about why Last Action Hero bombed Arnold Schwarzenegger – uh, has a theory on why the movie did not do well at the box office. What does Arnold say? Oh, Arnold's been doing press for his new movie, uh, Killing Gunther, the co- comedy starring mostly SNL people and him. And I guess when you have Arnold Schwarzenegger in a room with you, you want to ask what everything that's on your mind because he's Arnold Schwarzenegger, and I'm sure you have questions to ask Arnold Schwarzenegger. So even though I don't think anybody's planning to see Killing Gunther, there's some good press going around out there, including his interview with the Business Insider, where he uh, blames the failure of Last Action Hero, the 1993 action fantasy film, on President Bill Clinton. And I'm going to read this quote. It's pretty short, and I'm not going to try to do an Arnold voice. I thought about it for about 10 <laughs> seconds, but it's a very bad choice. So just imagine, imagine the tones of Arnold Schwarzenegger coming through my mouth. It was one of those things where President Clinton was elected and the press somehow made the whole thing kind of political where they thought, okay, the 80s action guys are gone. Here's a perfect example. And they wrote this narrative before anyone saw the movie. The action hero era is over. Bill Clinton is, is, is in. The highbrow movies are, in, are the in thing now. I couldn't recuperate. And what's interesting about this is I've seen a few people report this news and the headline is, Arnold Schwarzenegger blames Bill Clinton for last action hero's failure, which is... Maybe a little inaccurate. What's really going on here, and what's actually astute of him, and what he's noticing that's accurate, is that there was a shift uh, culturally and politically in the 90s where people like Schwarzenegger and Stallone weren't weren't, um, relevant anymore. I mean, if you want to get real about it for a second, pop culture always reflects politics, always reflects the real world. Audiences are always interested in movies based on the real world. And in the 80s, when there's a threat of the Cold War, and there's Ronald Reagan uh, in, in the office, of course, audiences want a story about the big, strong, tough guy who's going to step between, you know, the people who need help and the bad guy and just gun everything down and say, it's black and white, I'm here, I'm a barrier, it's fine. Then you enter the 90s and the Soviet Union falls and um, America starts seeing huge economic growth. And you start seeing like Nicolas Cage becomes an action hero. You see the Matrix in the, in the late 90s uh, kind of redefine the idea of what action heroes are. And instead of wanting tough guys anymore, America, uh, Americans who see movies, started wanting ordinary people, more ordinary folks who are thrust in extraordinary situations because the fantasy of the superhero muscle-bound action guy was a thing of the past. So I think what, what Arnold's saying here makes a lot of sense, even though Bill Clinton is the catchy headline. Um, it's more about where America was shifting to in the 90s 
and rejecting the kind of movies that Arnold used to make. Which is interesting because Last Action Hero itself is a rejection of Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. It's a satire. It's a parody of the bombastic blockbusters that he was always a part of. And before I hand the table over to you guys, I want to hear your thoughts on this. I do want to point out there's a book called uh, Hit and Run by Nancy Griffin and Kim Masters. I think it was published in 1997. But it's about uh, Sony Pictures. is uh, When Sony first entered into Hollywood and bought Columbia and they made Last Action Hero, that's a big chapter of the book because it's about how um, Sony was handled so disastrously and how it was a nightmare and how everybody involved uh, faced all kinds of uphill battles while the wrong people got rich. It's a fascinating, fascinating book. And in the chapter about Last Action Hero, it talks about how the production was a disaster. Post-production was rushed. There was disastrous test screenings. Nobody got the movie. Nobody knew how to sell it. So even though Schwarzenegger is accurate in saying, yeah, 90s audiences didn't want these guys anymore. They don't, they don't want Schwarzenegger anymore. Um, Last Action Hero was a bomb for, for all kinds of reasons, even though I like that movie. I, I'm curious what you guys think about this. I think I mean, uh, you can go, Ben. Oh, I was just going to say, I, I also like uh, Last Action Hero. I think the kid protagonist is super annoying in that film. But um, even that might be sort of a commentary in and of itself, I think. But that movie is uh, is smarter than I think people give it credit for. And I think it, it fits really, really well with Schwarzenegger's um, on-screen persona. Because he's always been more willing to poke fun at himself than a Stallone or, you know, some of his other contemporaries. Um, so I think that movie is maybe a little bit underappreciated. It's it's not like a glorious film or anything, but it, it's uh, I think it's better than its reputation um, sort of indicates at this point. Uh, and, yeah, I agree that all of his points, uh, it seems like, a, yeah, a pretty astute reading of uh, the, the cultural climate at the time. I think there's a lot of brilliance in Last Action Hero. I can almost see an alternate universe where that movie was a hit and was praised by critics. Um, the movie it's that was released has a lot of you know stuff that doesn't work and some humor that's cringeworthy. You know, there's this whole scene with someone named a mobster named Leo the farts that farts underneath the tar pits it's it's not good um i mean i guess he doesn't fart there's a there's a bomb but uh i don't know it it just seems like it's in an era where we are remaking all these movies that were good with movies that are not good um it seems like last action hero would be the perfect uh movie to remake because there is a kernel of some good uh, concepts at the core of that film and I'm sure you could redo it with someone like The Rock or is he the only action hero we have these days? It feels like it. Only one that typical mold at least. I mean the problem, that with the, not the problem, but today uh, anyone's an action hero. Like Liam Neeson's an action hero. Ryan Gosling's an action hero. I feel like the, the specialized action hero is very much a dying breed. Um, but I don't know. I, I would, I would kind of love to see them try to remake last action hero. Um, make Arnold the villain in the movie. I think that would be brilliant. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know if, if, if this is the reason why it bombed. Um, I, I feel like I wasn't as, uh, connected to the pulse of the, what was going on in, you know, the movie going world when that was released, that was, you know, young. Uh, so I don't know if that, but it sounds like a good, good, good reason as anything I've heard. Um, let's move on to justice league, a modern day blockbuster. Um, we have learned the running time or have we learned the running time? I'm not sure, uh, of justice league. And it is much shorter than expected. Ben, what do we know? So uh, according to multiple sources, the, Running time of Justice League is 121 minutes. So that is two minutes shorter than Suicide Squad and apparently 50 minutes shorter than the early rumors of how long Justice League, you know, is going to be from earlier this year. So uh, 121 minutes sounds far more palatable to me than an almost three hour movie. I don't know about you guys. Uh, I, I just I'm not sure I want to spend that much time in uh, in that world. But uh, 121 minutes, I'm I'm very happy about that if it turns out to be true. But, Peter, you sort of alluded to 
there being a little bit of a difference of an opinion online with some well, you know, yeah, different it, sources popping up. It's just a matter of a few minutes, so it's not that big of a deal. But um, but there's multiple sources confirming different times that are all around the two hour time. Uh, personally, I mean, if the movie's good, I don't care how long it is, if, as long as it's good. Um, I'm a defender of the Batman vs Superman Ultimate Cut, which is I think Zack Snyder's uh, director's cut. It's not a great movie, but it's a. I think anybody that would see it would admit that it's a much better movie than the movie that was released in theaters, and it you know is is more coherent. Um, so it makes me wonder if cutting this down. You know, I'm going to be the 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 devil's advocate here. Could cutting it down to shorter be a bad thing? Jacob, what do you think? Uh, I think these movies should be short until they, until they find their voice. I mean, Wonder Woman was longer than this by about 20 minutes. But I also think that Wonder Woman is a good movie. <laughs> so it, all that matters. But it's it's a case where as I get older, as, as my years uh, add to me, I start, I start realizing that I would much rather have a short movie that has a confident pace as opposed to a long movie that offers more for the sake of more. And I feel like there's, there's, there's a level of confidence to a movie to say, I'm two hours long, I don't need to be longer, deal with it. That I, I appreciate and admire. And I, I know I'm not alone when I'm, I'm at a film festival and I'm looking at movies to see one of them's 85 minutes long and I go, yes, priority, 85 minutes. Because I feel like a movie has to earn every single second of its screen time. And Batman vs Superman uh, and even Man of Steel, a movie I like, do not earn their running times. They're they are far too long. They're far too bloated. And if Justice League can tell a story you need to tell in two hours, that's great. Wonderful. Delightful. Get us out faster. Um, get more screenings in a day. Make more money. Everybody wins. I do want to share one thing, though. When this story broke, um, DC fans uh, started sending some angry emails to journalists who broke the story. And I just want to share one of them real quick quick because um <laughs> I, I i think that for those of you who wonder why are film journalists always so down in dc fans sometimes here's a message to a journalist um that was a show shared on twitter when he reported the 121 minute long running time there's some language here um so if you, if you if i'm going to warn you in advance i'm not going to just skip ahead if you don't if you want to have your ears befouled uh subject line fuck you message body thanks for telling everyone that justice league is 121 minutes long Thus disappointing millions of people, you asshole. The way you went after this story shows what kind of fan you are. You are a faggot. Oh, you've been on the web for years, yet you know nothing. No nobody and have to beg for a story. You also have no fans. You are a loser and hope you suffer a lot. I hope you burn. Wow. <laughs> Over a running time. Over a running time, guys. Wow. The, th- the thing I don't understand is, does this guy think it would have been better for him to show up at the theater, not know the running time, and then find out that way? Like, he's going to find out the running time eventually. Like, when he goes to buy tickets, Fandango's going to have the running time. Yeah, know. then do you send an email to Fandango with the same thing? I don't know. It's so weird. Um, I, I'm, I'm, My hope is that this shorter running time means that the movie is going to be better. I think uh, Joss Whedon sort of taking over and, and um, I, I like the idea in my mind of the narrative of this movie being that it may they may have bitten off a little bit more than they could chew to start, but uh, but you know, things have sort of coalesced in such a way that they've been able to tighten the screws where necessary and get the thing down to a manageable length that, um, that, you know, contains all the story that they need to tell and, and gets rid of excises, all of that bloat that Jacob was talking about from the previous film. So I'm, I'm looking at this through an optimistic lens. We'll see if that's warranted or not. And is it just me or Zack Snyder keeps on posting these photos from the shoot of him being involved in like scenes that had to do with Wonder Woman, and they mainly focus on Wonder Woman, and it feels to me very like, uh, almost sad. <laughs> it seems it seems like he's like, look, guys, I was responsible for this part of the movie. Um, mm. I don't know. Mm. Maybe, maybe that's just me, but I didn't want to point that out. <laughs> I think uh, the stories of who directed what in this movie will be sort of legend. I think people will discuss this and debate this and try to pick this apart for years. Good or bad, I think there'll be a discussion we'll be having for a long time. For sure. Um, Star Trek Discovery is going to get a season two. Jacob, what do we know? 
Uh, we all I know is that uh, Hollywood Reporter uh, has a story, and CBS has announced that Star Trek Discovery season two will happen. It will also be on CBS All Access, like the first season. Uh, executive producer uh, Alex Kurtzman, however, says that the series probably won't return until 2019, and that seems like a long wait, and it is. But to be fair, the second half of the first season airs in early 2018. So it'll be only about a year wait instead of, you know, a year and a half wait, which is how it feels right now. And I'll be honest, I'm the, probably the biggest Trek fan on staff because of the move. I still haven't seen this show. I'm planning to binge it all by paying for CBS All Access, CBS all access for one month and then catch up on it. I know that um, our, our freelancer, Monique Jones, has been reviewing it and she's been struggling with it. As a Trek fan, she's really liking it, but also really kind of annoyed that it's a, a very serious war story, kind of like Battlestar Galactica, instead of being a Star Trek story. I'm curious if you guys have seen it. Um, I'm, and I'll, I'm curious if season two will maybe move toward being more like Star Trek, if that's the case. Um, have, I, have either of you guys caught up with it? Or does season two surprise you? Or is CBS All Access a hurdle that you guys don't want to jump over? What's up with you guys? <laughs> well, but, but, yeah, the, definitely the latter for me. I, I just have checked out of the, the idea of having to subscribe to a specific service just for that show um if anything i'll do what you end up doing jacob if i hear enough good things about the first season i'll subscribe for one month just binge through the whole thing and then cancel the subscription until the next season uh becomes available in full but uh peter have you caught up yet i've watched the first three or four episodes i'm not sure how many episodes they're in uh jacob probably knows better than i because he's editing these uh reviews uh, six episodes <laughs> yeah um it, i can tell you that it's gotten progressively better by per episode that i've seen um it's gotten more towards star trek the first two episodes and i've said this on this podcast it almost felt like that uh battlestar galactica miniseries it felt it almost felt like the prelude to the series um so i i feel like if 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 you are ever going to give this a chance you know at least get three episodes in which i i hate when people say that because there's a lot of TV and there's so much great TV and you're like, I want something to be great right away, like most great things are. Um, but uh, I, I really think you need to get to you know the third episode to see what the show is actually like because the first two episodes are kind of like a, almost like a prequel kind of thing. Um, not to spoil too much. But um, uh, yeah, uh, I'll, I'll keep on watching it. I have uh cbs all access uh i'm uh, it's very i'm very surprised that this show is being considered a success because i don't think i see that many people talking about it online so it makes me wonder how many people are actually subscribed to cbs all access and is it really worth you know wasn't this tv show uh said to be like one of the most expensive tv shows produced on television today like yeah yeah eight million an episode yeah that's right and what's crazy is that the cbs keeps on saying we have record-breaking numbers of people joining to watch star trek we have record record subscribers joining week by week and keep me going okay but how many people actually watched your your streaming service before that what is the record-breaking number for you is it 12 people or is it 12 million I, i don't know and it's ridiculous because you know, same same thing about Netflix. With the problem with there is, they say we're successful. We say, but are you? How can we? <laughs> we as journalists, um, we can't help but be curious. Uh, but they make it very very hard for us to gauge success because it's so easy from the lie. We can't see any numbers whatsoever. For sure. Uh, moving on because we are running short on time, but uh, we're going to get to both of the other things that we were supposed to talk about. Uh, first up, Tessa Thompson, one of the stars of Thor Ragnarok has revealed that her character is bisexual. Uh, I saw the film. Ben, you saw the film. Was she? Um, (laughs) Well, so, yeah, Tessa Thompson tweeted that Valkyrie, her character, is bi, and she said, and yes, she cares very little about what men think of her. What a joy to play. So that's this Twitter post is sort of what sparked this whole thing. Um, it's, It's sort of unclear to me. I mean, you know, watching the movie, we saw a screening, I think it was last week, and he you know, I, I honestly didn't really think that much about her sexuality in the film. There's a couple moments in the movie, and this isn't really a spoiler, where she and Thor sort of eye each other, and that's about it. Um, so, I mean, I don't really think there's a lot there to support this, but there's also not really anything there to um, to detract from it or to, to sort of, uh, you know, provide any sort of counter evidence for 
for this claim, this seems to be something that um, Thompson and maybe Taika Waititi talked about, you know, on the set. And she decided that this is, you know, the way that she wants to play this character. And, and maybe the decisions that she made as an actress were sort of, um, you know, colored by by that uh, uh, the character's sexuality in that way. But it, it's not something that the movie itself concentrates, uh, you know, any sort of time on. Um, so I'm sort of torn about this because I, I like the idea um, but I sort of wish that if that was the case, that the movie itself would have really gone there and and um, you know made that representation something that's uh, you know palpable and 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 easy to identify with for all of those people out there who are constantly looking for exactly that kind of res- representation in mainstream Hollywood movies. Um, Peter, what do you think? Well, my question is, I'm going to play devil's advocate here, um, and I do agree that we need more LGBT rep- representation in movies. Uh, there's enough, you know, uh, of same-sex couples and, and whatnot, um, but does LGBT representation in movies have to necessarily show a relationship like can't it just be an lgbt character like i remember reading um when the new ghostbusters came out uh, kate mckinnon's character uh she came out and said that the character was either gay or bisexual I'm, i forget what she said um but there was uh a bunch of uh lgbt uh blog posts pe- uh, people coming out and saying how uh how much it meant to them to see uh themselves on screen and that character didn't have you know ever say that she was gay didn't never had a gay relationship as far as i know I, I remember seeing the film at the premiere and then hearing this afterwards because it came out at the junkets and being like oh, i guess I, I can see that um but it wasn't like anything that was in the movie itself so what i guess what i'm asking is uh can representation be without uh the relationship itself um, so um, this is, yeah, Jacob, I, I was going to say, uh, this is something that I think Jacob probably has uh, a lot to talk about. So go ahead. There are writers out there who specialize in writing and talking about this stuff. And I'm not one of them. Uh, as I've talked about before, as I've written about before, I'm a bisexual man. Um, but I'm not the most eloquent when it comes to discussing this. So I'm going to do the best I can here. Um, and if there's a listener out there who wants to email all the with feedback, I'd really love to hear your thoughts. But my whole thing is that so often LGBT people, especially gay characters on television and film, are reduced to being um, just their, their their gayness becomes a quirk. It becomes oh, they're the best friend with a witty retort. Um, they're the sidekick character, and their their gayness is not about their sexuality, about their lifestyle. It is about how they are the sexless best friend who's non-threatening because they're gay, as opposed to being um, here's a fully formed person whose decisions, choices, and desires inform every single second of their existence. So I'm not saying I need Thor Ragnarok to feature Valkyrie having sex with men and women at all times, but I, I do think that um, proper representation would mean taking into account that a character um, has that ingrained into them into a way that that's inseparable um because you, you can't i guess what i'm trying to say is gay people are made invisible way too often and then their sexuality is made invisible and it becomes a trait in a quirk instead of a, def- a defining portrait of their daily decisions and their daily lifestyle and well, I'm glad that Tessa Thompson will say this and will say, hey, my character is this, deal with it. That makes me very happy. I'm not going to be fully happy until um, her character is on screen um, and her sexuality is not being used as a shorthand or a crutch, but as a vital part of her. I don't know what that means. I, I wish I could answer Peter's question better because when I saw Ghostbusters, I instantly clicked, oh, um, uh, Kit McKinnon's character is definitely not straight, and that, that clicked for me instantly in a way that I thought would click for more people. I guess, I guess it didn't. And I guess maybe it's that's part of the problem is that it, it read for people who know what to look for instead of people who could use the message and could use the "Hey, that's me," or "Oh, hey, that's my friend," or 
hey, that's normal and that's fine. I don't know if I'm making sense at all, guys. I'm just kind of <laughs> spewing stream consciousness here. I feel like it's. I feel like we need to get somebody who's an expert on talking about this stuff on the podcast to really talk to us because I'm not that person. I wish I was. Well, yeah. I mean, you talked about like you don't know what it means. You don't know what that means, and I think that's the problem, right? Is like we we haven't seen enough uh, normalization to know what that means yet, or what that looks like in a movie of this uh, size and scale. So I think that's the that's the big thing. It's like it's all about representation. It's all about. Um, showing people a reflection of, of themselves on screen or, you know, something to aspire to. And it's great that that Thompson went, uh, you know, did all she could. I just wish the movie itself could have could have gone a little bit further. And who's to say, maybe future movies will will flesh that out a little bit more. Um, that's up to Marvel and, and their whole team. But and it's something that Kevin Feige has talked about in the past before, you know, saying that he wanted there to be an LGBTQ uh, character in the Marvel Universe um, in the next 10 years, I think is what was his quote. And that was from like a couple years ago. So maybe this is it. And, but I, I, I have to think that, um, with those comments from Feige and, and the, and Marvel studios, not and now not being under the sort of, uh, reportedly oppressive thumb of Ike Perlmutter that they are going to be pushing forward in these, you know, uh, diversity um, categories in the years to come. So we'll have to see how they go with it. I mean, yeah, we we do deserve better representation. Uh, I just wonder, I don't know, I wonder if anybody seeing this movie is going to see representation in this character is is what I'm wondering. We'll have to see. Um, Paul, the trailer for Paul Thomas Anderson's movie, Phantom Thread, has been released online. You can see it on SlashFilm.com. Uh, we have all seen it. Uh, so I just want to do a quick uh, discussion of our, our thoughts on, on this film. Uh, Jacob, wh- what do you think of Phantom Thread? Um, I'll put it this way. If I had to see one movie in December and only one movie, I would see this before Star Wars. Uh, I think... There Will Be Blood, the, the previous movie Paul Thomas Anderson and Dan Lewis collaborated on, is the best movie of the 21st century so far. It is remarkable, incredible filmmaking. And even though this couldn't look more different, it is a uh, set in the 1950s, post-World War II London, uh, about a dressmaker played by Dan Lewis. And it's about the women in his life and how his life becomes unraveled through a series of circumstances, uh, pun intended. And the trailer is not like it's not a great trailer. I didn't watch the trailer and be like and be blown away by by in the way I am by other trailers. But the pedigree of people involved. Talk about a filmmaker who may be one of the one of the five best directors working today. And you have Danny Lewis, who I don't think it's a stretch to say is probably the greatest actor of all time. Those two together it, it, it's so exciting and, and just the thought of these two getting at least one movie out together is it, it it makes me breathless to think about these two um, being in the same room. And I mean, yeah, that's it. So I, I'm excited about uh, PTA being given the creative freedom by Megan Ellison to make something like this. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Paul Thomas Anderson, especially his earlier work. I loved uh, There Will Be Blood as well. Uh, I'm... I'm wondering if this just might not be a story for me because watching this, it, it, I mean, it's something I want to watch. It's definitely something I don't want to see over Star Wars. But uh, maybe it's just the 1950s world of London. The fashion is not an area that I, I, I am particularly excited about. Uh, Daniel Day-Lewis's performance just from this tra- trailer alone looks pretty great. Uh, the The soundtrack from Johnny Greenwood of Radiohead fame. It seems amazing from this trailer. Uh, it's something I want to see, but um, I don't know. I kind of, uh, I guess it, it just doesn't seem like the story I w- wanted to see from Paul Thomas Anderson, at least from this trailer. And I, I'm probably, everybody's probably yelling at their, at their, <laughs> <laughs> their podcast app right now. As I say that uh, I'm still excited to see it. It's just, um, I don't know. It's just, uh, I, what do you think, Ben? 
Yeah, I'm sort of, um, I'm not like, uh, I guess, super excited about the story, but I'm so excited about this collaboration that I'm thrilled to see what they're going to do with it. You know, like the idea of the master wasn't really something that I was super into on a story level, you know, hearing about it beforehand, but watching it's just these guys are so great at the craft of filmmaking that you get sucked in from the start regardless of what the story is so yeah i think on a surface level i'm certainly like oh wow this is not exactly um you know right in my wheelhouse so to speak but the idea that these guys are are you know getting the band back together and this is something that daniel day lewis considered to be uh you know, worthy of his time, which is saying something considering how few movies he does and and has done in the past few years. Um, I, I'm sort of excited about it. I'm not like crazy about the story, but I do think, um, and I think this is also the first movie where uh, Paul Thomas Anderson is operating the camera the whole time too. Is that right? Did you guys, is that right? I, I believe that's heard true. That? And it, okay. it looks beautiful, okay? So I, I don't want the hate emails coming to me. It <laughs> looks like a beautiful film. It's something I'm looking forward to. It's just, um, you know, if it was Paul Thomas Anderson doing a story in 1970s uh, L.A., <laughs> it might be something I might be more excited to see. You uh, advice? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess. Uh, There's I, also, I, I, well, you know what? I was excited to see Inherent Vice, and then when I saw great. it. It's so good. <laughs> it, there's also a lot in this trailer that, and I don't know if it's just because of stuff that's been in the news recently, but I, I'm getting a lot of like Harvey Weinstein vibes from this trailer. Not not uh, that this looks like a Harvey Weinstein movie, but that Daniel Day-Lewis's character seems like a Harvey Weinstein type where it's like very much about a man at the height of his powers and the women who, um, you know, give him they're all and they're just you'll watch the trailer again through that lens and you'll see what i'm talking about it it's sort of uh eerie how um relevant this seems to be in light of what's been going on in the past few days uh, before we move on and close out the show i do want to address one quick thing which is i know both of you seem underwhelmed by the world of 1950s london fashion and i would be normally but the reason i like this is i like that most of paul thomas Anderson's movies pick a such a specific narrow subject something that is um that cannot be taken any other way something that's, that's so specific it required him to research or stumble across a little fact and dig deep and say this tiny moment in this one place is interesting enough for one movie in the same way the porn industry in 1979 um, los angeles was in boogie nights and the birth of scientology in the master i love that this is clearly a story something that got, that got hitched into him and something he had to shake out and because of something in this world appealed to him so much. And I, I love that. I think that's, that, that to me makes me really excited that what about this world appealed to him that said, I need to make a movie about this moment. Yeah. I mean, I hope I see this movie and am blown away. So, and I, I will be seeing it whenever, whenever the first screening comes, I'm, I'm there. Count me in. Uh, Anyways, we have gone way too long for this episode, uh, thanks to an over-huge uh, over water cooler. Uh, you can find more of Ben's work at Ben Pears on Twitter. You can find more of Jacob at Jacob S. Hall on Twitter. You can find more of me at Slash Film on Twitter. You can find all the stories we talked about today on SlashFilm.com. You can find this podcast published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, all the popular podcast apps. Uh, if you have a question to send into the mailbag, send it to Peter at SlashFilm.com and please leave your general geographic location as long, along with your name so we can credit on the show. And uh, please go to iTunes. Give us a rating. Give us a review. We're currently number six on iTunes' top ten uh, film and television podcast. That's thanks to you. Help us out. Maybe one day we can make the top five. Uh, yes, but thanks for listening and we will see you tomorrow.